I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Guys, I've been looking forward to this for weeks. We are hanging out with our boy, Quadjo, the director of critical care at the Ottawa Hospital. And uh, uh, for folks who aren't aware, like Quadjo, you've been, uh, I think this might be your third, third time on the show. Third, I think, yeah. Um, ain't and, no rookie. And we now, ain't talking <laughs> no rookie no, today, no, boys. No, this is yeah, it. This is it. You're, you're, you're a vet uh, here at Sick Boy Studios. Amongst being the uh, producer and creator of your own podcast. That's right. That's right. Um, and uh, we had the pleasure of running into you in the Ottawa airport a couple of months ago when we were there. We did a live show. We get to the airport. We see this guy going through security. We're like, we know this guy. And we walked up. We had that, like just an amazing little chat as we were walking to our gates. And uh, it, it sparked the, uh, the inspiration for us to get you back on the show. Because actually, there's something that I've been... Okay, so folks, if you aren't aware, Quadjo, can you, can you tell folks, what is your TikTok? Because you are, you're kind of like, you're kind of getting a big deal on TikTok. So just like, real quick, give yourself a TikTok plug. And then I want to set up the reason why I wanted to have this conversation with you today. Oh, man. So thank you, gents, for having me. And by the way, that, tr- that trip, so you guys, I got to see you guys in the airport, but that trip was straight up bullshit. Got stuck oh, in no. Toronto that no, got no. stuck in Toronto and couldn't get back home, but ended up taking a a, a ferry. No, I made that up. Train. <laughs> um, but um, no, the so yeah, the TikTok. I was an anti TikTok TikTok folk for the longest time. People yeah. had a group that came up to me and said, like, you know what, you you might do okay on TikTok. And I'm like, I ain't dancing and shit. I'm pointing <laughs> in directions and so forth. You look good though. You're doing it right now. Looks good. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, I'm versatile. I'm versatile. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so they so I, I give this a try. I'm like, okay, well, we'll do a couple of videos and see what happens. And the thing blew up. It really just blew. Yeah. I had no idea what I was getting into. And before you know it, in a co- in a few months, you get over a hundred thousand followers, and now I think we're over three hundred. And Shit, yeah. at Quadcast, and I I did, had no idea things were going to go like this. Yeah. I had no idea. So ha- have your dancing skills improved then? Oh, I mean, there's, <laughs> yeah. no, there's no dancing. I, I'll dance on this show a little bit if you yeah, need yeah. me to, but like, I, but I, you're not I, like I just, you're not busting out the gritty on uh, on on TikTok. <laughs> Only my boys. Only my boys will throw that down. I can't gritty yet. So, right, uh, <laughs> so on TikTok, you know, you've got you've got two big doctors on TikTok. You got uh, the Dick Doc on TikTok, yep, and you got uh, the Quadcast on TikTok. So, uh, you know, if you're following the Dick Doc, I get it, but take a moment, <laughs> open up your app, and go follow at Quadcast on TikTok because it is it is worth it. And here's the thing: this is the reason why I wanted to get you on because um, I don't use TikTok that often, um, actually, really at all. I, I'm more of an Instagram guy. 
But a lot of times you will take your TikToks and you will, uh, you'll post them on Instagram. We see that a lot with, with Instagram. Uh, a lot of people like use it to sort of cross promote, promo. Cross promo. This is the most younger. millennial like yeah. boomer thing you've ever said. <laughs> like I, yeah. I don't watch TikToks. I only rewatch yeah, yeah. them on when that's they're right. cross posted <laughs> yeah, on yeah. on no, Instagram. Yeah, no cap. That's that's me um, busting. Uh, so so, but you put up a post. Um, I mean, it was a while back, but but you you kind of post about this every so often. And it was a post specifically relating to racism in the workplace, in healthcare. Um, and that's something that we've kind of like glossed over here and there um, over the last couple of years, speaking with healthcare professionals. Um, but we never really like took a deep dive into it. And that's kind of one of the things that I really want to like touch on with you today, Quadjo. Um, for people that don't, for, for people that don't like follow us on, on social media or just listen and don't, you know, watch our YouTube videos or whatever. Uh, Quadro, you are a black, uh, man working in the healthcare system. Darkness. And, and, uh, you know, I know that like you yourself have faced, uh, racism in the workplace and it's something that is, you know, that you are trying to voice and, and get, you know, awareness out there. Um, so with that, I just, I guess maybe I'll throw it to you and just, um, give us a little bit of insight into what that looks like for you, racism in healthcare specifically. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, growing up in Edmonton, you kind of have a, you, you, you have a racist existence. Like you, you experience racism at a very early age for me, as early as four or five years old, being called the N word, all these kind of things. And you, it's one of those perceptions that you think as you go into healthcare, as you go into these more professional settings that it it's going to dissipate, like it's going to not exist. And, and I, I haven't been too vocal about it as a, as a trainee, uh, even, th even though I've been in, in situations where they ask me like, when's a real doctor going to come in the room? I've been called the N word, uh, straight up by a patient. Like I've, Ooh. I've, even as department head, I've been, <laughs> I remember it was just described as the chief of the department and they're like chief of what, like chief of what African tribe are you talking about? Like Jesus it just Christ. clearly like, you know, like people still have some, some, uh, still have some, you know, like uh racist point of perspectives, you know, George Floyd happens and, you know, we've seen a lot of situations with police brutality, but this was something different around this time. Like maybe it was COVID energy because we were all stuck at home, but the way George died, the way he was treated like an animal, the way he was begging for his life, he was begging for his mom. And we just witnessed him over a nine minute period, die slowly. Um, That was triggering. And it was, that an episode that we did with uh, Chika Oriwa, uh, who's like the valedictorian and helped pro uh, produce a black uh, uh, program for medical school at U of T. I just, I just felt like I got to be more vocal about this shit. And then you're, you know, and then when you, you know, you you've experienced stuff, you see stuff, you see how, whether it is black people that get treated in hospital, you see how the indigenous population gets treated in hospital. Mm -hmm. You know, to me, it was just like enough fuck this like enough enough of this ignorance enough of these side comments enough of these uh being people being treated that w this way and 
I don't know. I for someone that I won't lie to you, boys. Like I don't love talking about this because yeah. it it is triggering or whatever. Mm-hmm. But to me, it's like I got a. I have a voice. I have a, you know a, an ability to to bring awareness to many of these issues, and I'm going to try and make a difference. Mm-hmm. You know, collectively, we're going to try and make a difference. It, yeah. Is it hard to feel that like pressure of feeling like? you know, you, you have a, a sort of platform and <clears throat> this opportunity to, to speak about these issues, but like almost feeling like you have that responsibility and that you have to sort of try to live up to it in the best way. But like, also I imagine probably not even really knowing at times, like what to say or how to, to how to do that. Like, does it feel like a bit of this like weight that you have to, to bear? Ooh. That's a good, that's a really good question. And part of it is, Yes, you, like you do. You, there is a weight there that you 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 have a responsibility for your people to to, to try and 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 influence things and rise them up and motivate, you know. And you know, sometimes they ask you like a lot of policy questions in healthcare. How do we increase our diversity and inclusion? Blah blah. Yeah. I'm like, I am an expert in this shit. I just have a lived experience and 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 give you an opinion, but I am an expert in it. But at the same time, because of I don't know. I didn't, I was a mid career when I started to be more vocal in this, like I'm, you know, in my well into my forties. And, and when I hear about, say, when I did that interview with Chika Oriwa, she was a medical student being an activist. And I'm like, man, I, this wasn't even on my radar to be, to be vocal about these kind of issues. And so I'm, I'm in some ways trying to make up for lost time. I'm like, holy cow, man, I gotta, I gotta step up my game. When you say, when you say that, are, does that come and like? Does that come from a place of like when you were when you were younger, maybe in medical school or like in your residency or something like that? Is there a sense from your perspective of like, of like I, I see this happening around me, but you know I don't want to rock the boat. I'm early in my career. Uh, I Ooh. you know I don't have I don't ha- maybe have the credibility or the reputation to be stepping outside the box, quote unquote, and, 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 and raising these issues for fear of, for fear of, uh, of, of like not being reprimanded, but, but, but causing people to feel a certain way about you, that you are rocking the boat, that you're shaking things up. Like, is that, is that a feeling that you have, or maybe subconsciously in retrospect? Huge. You you nailed it. Like, uh, that's absolutely it. It's like this inability to be authentic because you, you got to, play a role in some ways like and you also got to realize you know it's it's a little different now but being in Edmonton doing all this stuff like being you know like where there wasn't tons of diversity in terms of being black Mm. like your eyes are always on you like you're they're always on you so you like you're aware of that like the way you react to a certain thing the way you like the way you are in terms of patient care like you're People notice you. And so you always have to be on. And then, and when you're on, you got to be in a way that people find acceptable. And mm. which is really hard if, and if I'm being honest with you, because you're not being your authentic self. So I, I, we, we started a black mentorship program and this is one of the main messages I send. Like if you want to be well, if you want to, you know, deal with your overall wellness as you, as you go through the ranks, you got to try and stay as authentic as possible. And it's okay. You know, this is why I felt the need to be in a, a higher level, 
you know, like get a seat at the table when it comes to administrative roles, being yeah. on a board, like, so you could advocate for these kids that are coming through and want to be themselves. They're wearing what they want to wear because that's cultural. That's okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember some kid coming into the ICU or whatever, or he's wearing a back, he's wearing a backpack. Like, you know how like all the ball players are wearing backpacks everywhere. Maybe this is like, you know, not like the string was, backpacks. Y- yeah. 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 And, uh, someone's saying like, what the fuck? And I'm like, no, what the fuck? No, it's fine. Like there's nothing wrong with uh, what this kid's uh, what this kid's doing. Like, is is he is he professional at work? Is he treating people mm-hmm. with respect? Is he smart? Yes. Leave that kid alone. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. Like so, honestly, that is a big part of 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 the issue. Like the the other thing too is when you're early in your career, you're dependent on people's, uh, uh, like positive letters and positive. Uh, references to get to the next step. So as right. a med student, you're trying to get into residency. In residency, you're trying to get into fellowship. When you get fellowship, then you're trying to get into your 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 staff job or your the and like the real job. So you're always trying to please. You're always trying to perform. And so you know it, it, that's another reason why it's been always a bit of a challenge to show your true colors. Yeah, I, I imagine that another part of like the the racism experiencing racism is the frustration of feeling like the responsibility is put on black folks to try to educate people to change when the people who need to change are they're the ones who are being ignorant or or need to learn something and so like i would imagine that um it feels like a burden that's being put on you because of the ignorance of somebody else and you're like well fuck why do i have to spend my energy trying to to educate these people or fix this situation when really it's that person who needs to be doing the work it, it like do oh, you man. do you feel any part of that that's exactly on point like even this like dei movement you know, like who are they looking for to be the like the, the diversity officer of the hospital is, or whatever organization it's usually the person of color i'm like i don't i'll speak for myself I don't, I don't want anything to do with this. Like I got my, my research is in how to save healthcare dollars. It's on mm-hmm. how to be more efficient in our system, how to look at preventative medicine. Ooh. I don't want to go and talk to a bunch of groups and say like, why you got to use these terms to be more inclusive and all that stuff. That's not me. Yeah. You know is I mean? it, is yeah. it, is it a, is it generally and and not just in healthcare, but kind of like across the board, is it, I'm having this thought now maybe for the first time, I think, is it insane is it insane to assume that a person of color is the person that has the information to teach people? Like as if you, as if like just by the nature of the color of your skin that you've like, you, you just like inherently have this like skill to teach people not to be racist. Like it's like, it's kind of nuts. Is it? Yeah. yeah he's is, black. He's is. a specialist. He's a black specialist. Yeah. You know? He it's, fucking knows. It's true. It's like, they explain like, how do I teach my kid how to be less ignorant? I'm like, I don't know, motherfucker. Google it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Google yeah. Shit. yeah, you're like, I'm a doctor. <laughs> you like you put all this more pressure on me. That's what yeah. race, you know what it is? Racism is pressure. Like I, I I think of um I think of my my son. So he got he got called the N word a few months ago. Wow. And uh part of the, the the story when these incidents happen that people don't appreciate is how much pressure is on you for your reaction like what do you what yeah yo 
what's K going to do now? Is he going to bust that kid's head open? Yeah. Is he going to just cower? Is anybody going to speak up? Is like, what, how do you handle that? What, do you, what if the guys, you know, back in the day when you're on the ice, when someone throws down, they're like, well, if this guy's 220 pounds. And at the time I'm a buck 60 wet, maybe. And <laughs> yeah, am I supposed to throw down now that he's, he called me the N word. So my teammates going to step up. Mm. So like that, that was part of the, 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 you know, there was many emotions when I heard my, my son got called that, but then I just felt bad for him. Like it, the, the whole class heard it mm. and he's got to now save face somehow. And, mm-hmm. and knowing that, you know, that's, you know, his innocence has left him a little bit. Now he knows yeah. for real for the rest of your days, unless stuff really significantly changes. Like you're going to be judged on how, yeah. on the color of your skin. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a, that's a big deal. Yeah. favorite one-hit wonder or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have or that tv show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon now what if we could fix it i'm francesca ramsey and i'm delon grant and after 20 years of friendship we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called let me fix it each episode we'll dig into our favorite celebrities shows and brands of yesteryear and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today think of our show as an intervention but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I I would like to uh, kind of shift the conversation a little bit um, to to something else that and and maybe this is maybe this isn't your wheelhouse, but uh, if you if you do feel cool with talking about it, I would love to get your thoughts. But one one thing that I've been seeing uh, more and more, uh, especially through probably just through the echo chamber, that is like what we do and the people that we follow and that we listen to um, is, you know, I'm seeing a lot of headlines or like Nahid Dasani talks about this a lot, but how like racism and discrimination are, are like key public health threats. And uh, I'm wondering like what your take is on that. Like what, what is it that makes racism or discrimination in what ways does it make it a public health threat? Yeah. So I'm going to preface this by saying like, this is just my interpretation of, of some of that, that speak. And I think the way I like to illustrate that is, is through even our COVID reaction. So yeah. say if you look at who was most likely to contract COVID, who was most likely to um, be hospitalized with COVID, die from COVID, who was b- most hurt by our restrictions. So you're going to uh, lock down, but make sure the essential workers have to work at that Amazon factory and then come home to a multi uh, multi-generational home and spread their COVID like crazy. And they have nowhere to isolate and they don't have paid leave option. They have not easy access to testing. You know, they all, they look much like me or, or derivative of me. If you look at school closures and how that's going to impact what, what population that's going to hit the hardest, you know what I'm saying? And like you, know, many of these people are going to have to choose between, Hey, do I educate my kid or do I put food on the table? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? When you look at vac- vaccine mandates, who do, who do they affect the hardest? When you look at when uh, people lose their jobs as a lot, as it relates to uh, uh, mandates, who, wh- what do they look like? Mm-hmm. You know, like all this, 
if we were going to take like a really look at an equity lens, maybe we take it a little bit more seriously. Mm. Like we just did a show. I, I don't know when this is going to come out, but, um, <laughs> but we did a show mid January with uh, uh, a live cast with Stefan Burrell and Sumon Chakrabarty and Zane Chagla about like lessons from COVID and how we're going to handle the next one. And I'll tell you this much. You got to like let the data di- dictate the policy. We gotta let the data dictate how we're gonna respond. Yeah. Gotta depoliticize this shit and focus on who is of greatest need and hit hit them up with the resources. You know what I mean? Like Jesus, like like if people if people the middle class had to or if they lost their internet or they lost their ability to Uber Eats, you think we would be locked down as long as we were? Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. these all these policies affect racialized people the most and because it's people that don't have as much of a a voice or people that can sometimes be looked at as second-class citizens we don't do shit Mm -hmm. we don't rise it up and so yeah that's why i i I think when you say like racism is uh in my opinion like is a public health issue that's where my head goes i'm not like i can't read uh sandy's viewpoint but that's where my brain goes no i mean yeah like that totally makes sense to me and 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 i i i also want to say like i feel maybe i'm wrong here but i i do feel like covid really was like one of the key factors in making that so fucking apparent to everybody Mm -hmm. across the country well it's well it's it's like uh it provides a really good vignette of of like what's happening yeah even pre-covid but it's like hey here's a fucking big shit storm where all of these things are problems are amplified. Yeah. And so it's easier to see them. But I think to, to your point, Quadro, about the, um, about data dictating the policy, hopefully the hope is that if anything good comes out of COVID, it's that we learn from this stuff and actually apply it to make change. I hope so, brother, because it, it, we can't do this twice. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of us were saying, like, I'm not as attuned to it, but my, my colleagues who are infectious disease doctors saying like, I mean, another version of a pandemic we're probably five six years away from that whether it's bird flu or whatever it might be and we cannot like approach this the same way i don't care what anybody says yeah i mean from from every direction it was from every from every direction no matter what side of the conversation you were on it was it was yeah shit do do you do you see any change happening like have any substantial or significant changes happened that you've seen as a result of COVID? Yeah, there are some positives that I think are going to come out of it, if I'm being honest. Like the leveraging virtual care, yeah. I think mm-hmm. I think is is smart. Like there's not, in Ontario, it gets a bit of a bad rap because some people it's hard to see their family doc and they're hiding behind the screen or whatever. But then there's a, there's a lot of situation where it's it's super beneficial. Like, you know, if you think you you're out in Dartmouth or I don't, I'm just making up places in Nova Scotia. That's right. That's right. That's where I was. That's yeah. where I grew up. Yeah, I got. I got. had a feeling. I had a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine you got to see that specialist for basically a five minute appointment, but you're gonna take the time off work, find parking, all this stuff. Whereas easily we could be doing, looking at each other via screen and just make sure everything is proper and then yeah. move on with your day. Or the other extreme of that is you are at, uh, you want to see one of the best specialists regarding whatever condition, 
now you have access to them. You don't have to travel. You could just at the you know be in front of your computer and and get that level of expertise. And then there's another project that we just were launching in April, which is taking leveraging virtual care. Uh, care is we have a virtual critical care program. So say oh, wow. you're in Halifax, someone's sick is sick in Dartmouth. You, you're going to have access to someone like me saying, "Hey, you're going to want to give them more fluid. You want to try this antibiotic. You want to do this mm-hmm. and that." They look really bad anyway. Let's bring them early, or you could try this stuff so they could, they could uh, you could stay in Dartmouth but and get the interventions you need. Yeah. So like, there's a lot of there's, that's a good side. I, what else is good? I think also the we have maybe pivoted a bit in terms of how resistance we are resistant we are to change. Like I think within critical care or not just critical care, but uh, in medicine in general, we, we're dinosaurs when it comes to new innovation. Yeah, but. Yeah. I think COVID kind of took off the the veil for that to a certain degree. And I hope we can, we continue that. Yeah. And just like, um, yeah, I, I think those are the kind of the main ones that come to mind, but, and just it, hopefully just next time we're not going to be so restrictive in people's yeah. dialogue. Like, it was, like even using the term, like, I'm just trying to think of uh, what terms were controversial uh, being uh, like, mentioning myocarditis was a bad thing oh yeah at one point uh just any concerns that was against the narrative at some point was like you would be persecuted i I just read i just read an article yesterday from uh from cbc that was that was like a collect a collection of stories of people who had had a had had um i think in particular it was like a skin it was like a skin rash uh, that developed after they got the, the vaccine. And from what I understand, I mean, like, you know, not not life threatening, but like something that was something that not great, that was not good and something that they were concerned about and, and was uncomfortable and had an impact on their lives and work and whatever. And and it was it was basically this collection of stories of people going, you know, I went to my doctor and I said that I had. Uh, you know, I had just gotten the vaccine and I got the skin stuff and that that was that that was uh, you know, that, that anyone that they told that to was kind of like, ooh, like, let's not uh, let's we don't want to hear about that. Like, we don't want to do. And and it was kind of and, and and they were and these people in all these stories, they were going, we weren't we're not saying we don't want the vaccine. We don't think the vaccine is helpful. We don't think we should get it. We don't think other people should get it. They were just going. I put something in my body and I got, I got a rash and I want to take care of the rash. Like, why am I, why do I have to feel like, sounds like like Aaron Rodgers to me. (laughs) Why do I have to feel demonized? Why do I have to feel demonized with this? And, and, and I, and I was reading those stories and I, and I, and I felt like a little kind of pinch in my own heart because I felt like, I felt like at one point of the evolution of that whole conversation, I might've been in that camp of like, oh, come on, like, it's a rash, like, you get the vaccine, the bigger picture, think about, the, and I, and I don't know, I was now reading you're the, a dad, and, I, and now, yeah, now I'm a dad, and I'm a change, and I'm, and I'm a, di- and I'm, I'm changed, changed. Man. I'm changed I, man. I, I guess, like, Quadra, to you, like, has, has the politicization of the health, of medicine and the healthcare process, is that, is that something that's new since COVID, like, has that become a bigger deal or problem to deal with since COVID? Yeah, I, I I wonder. I mean, maybe it's one of those things that was maybe happening, and I just was less aware. But 
it, to this scale, I, I I can't imagine it, there's been anything close to that. Like I'm, yeah. I'm thinking, you know, maybe there was stuff with HIV treatment or, mm, sure. or or something back in the day, but this was ridiculous. Oh yeah, this dude. got ridiculous. I like, mean, it, and it still is. Like I mean, honestly, Quadra, like one of my favorite things to do with your social media, other than watching it and taking it in and appreciating it. It's reading the fucking comments. Dude, your <laughs> comment section. Holy shit. You want like you want to see people get riled up? Go to a Quadjo video and just watch Wait, the why? polar. Oh my God. Oh, you'll have man. someone you'll have someone get on there and go, speak it. That's it. This is the this is the man right here. The next comment would be like, this fucking this fucking cuck. Like as if he's putting this shit out. Like it dude, it's 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 really crazy to see. To see these types of comments, these types of like super polarized comments on a video that is literally just putting out like good, interesting public health information. And then and then you see the way that it just triggers people. It becomes and they, political. And they become yeah. it immediately becomes left or right. Fucking it's like crazy. you know honestly it, fuck Trudeau. Like you know, you're just seeing Trudeau, you're like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, Do you see a difference in that now, Quadro? Like I personally I feel maybe it's just because I'm not paying attention to it anymore. Like I'm not I'm not digesting it nearly as much as as you know this time last year. Do you find that it's 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 calmed down a little bit or being in the yeah, it's being in definitely the definitely medical... calmed down? Like I yeah. I mean the worst the worst of it was last February for or January or February last year. We were talking about, you know, uh, we were just being more doing a lot of advocacy for getting kids out of, back to school. And so there was it got vicious. Like there was a on Twitter, there was a a Lego f- picture of my family, which was really spooky because it was like the the table we sit at. Like it was like, I don't know if they Whoa. they must have seen a picture somewhere or they know somebody. But it was just it was way too personal saying Hey, you know, this is a doctor that everyone's saying to listen to and and just being just really being vicious. And, uh, you know, it's one thing to throw shade towards uh, me. But when you get my family involved, too, then, yeah. you yeah, know, you got to step off. But, you know, I, I'm i honestly like, <laughs> Jerry, I'm good at not reading the comments. And <laughs> I'll read it for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> and, um, but, yeah, the it's. I just don't know what happened to us. Like that's yeah. what's scary. Like I, I like I want to put things in perspective for, for for everyone, like you guys and the listeners. Like in the pandemic, every, every when things got busy, it affected my life significantly. So like if I as an example, in the third wave, when I'm having to sleep in hospital, our staff are burned out. We're taking care of people from not even in our region. So there's a highly stressed situation. I don't want to be there. I don't want to do anything like, you know, I don't want to be away from my family. I, I, like, I'd rather just be, you know, have normal existence. But at the same time, I'm not wanting to take away people's rights. I don't want to, I still believe in the, like some of the fundamental stuff of, of being Canadian and, 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 and just allowing people to, to have choices, you know, like that's still important to me. And so whatever response there was like that's that directly was affecting my life and and so when i'm coming out and saying hey you know what i think the kids are okay i think the kids could go back to school you know this is coming from a perspective of someone that's actually in it yeah you know what i'm saying yeah so all those naysayers 
All those people that are the epidemiologists that have never walked in a hospital, never seen a COVID patient. Remember that. Mm-hmm. Like this was this was life. I'm intubating, putting someone on a ventilator that has COVID. I'm this far away. I'm eight inches away from their face. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's me. Yeah. What what are they doing? Yeah. There, go go ahead on your TikTok, uh, Twitter comments. Yeah. Come and step in my step in my world for three minutes. Yeah, I mean it's you know my my uh, partner. She's a ICU nurse, a CV ICU nurse, and uh, you know one of my best friends. He's an RT, um, and it's like everybody that I know that is in healthcare, that is in like acute care, that's in in the hospital, seeing this shit. They all seem to have a very like similar viewpoint that you do. And yet everybody who's not in it seems to have their own kind of viewpoint that is it, it, like, it, it, that's always kind of shocked me. It's I've always kind of been like, well, how the, what the fuck are you talking about? I, how, I think how do you the, know what you're talking d- about? But do we, don't, don't we all agree that it's a much more nuanced conversation than like picking one side or the other to, oh, to buy yeah. in and, and go, it's got to entirely be this yeah, way yeah. or entirely be this way or yeah. it's wrong. Yeah. It's like, are you, like vaccines are better for some, are more important for some than others. So some do mass work in some settings. Yes. And some settings, no. like there's, there's a lot of nuance to all of that, mm-hmm. but to say like, you have to be absolutely one way for, uh, for everybody like some people need a booster more than another yeah and so what, my whole point of view of having these honest data-based decisions is that you put your resources into people that need it the most like i'll give you an example same time last year we're doing the booster campaign right in ontario they were like we're opening it up to everybody okay you would have an 18 year old that is savvy and finding finding the website knows how to knows how to book his his mm. vaccine his booster online meanwhile i'm having uh i'm having uh uh new year's day breakfast with a 70 some year old guy that can't figure it out and it's not going to get his uh vaccine for three weeks later 70 year old guy with diabetes the guys that we were seeing yeah in hospital yeah, yeah. it's insane yeah you know what i mean it's insane so like this is why it's got to be data driven. This is why we got to be honest with yeah. people and just say like, "Hey, yes, it's good that it's available, but these are the people that really need it." You I, know what I mean? I've yeah. been thinking a lot about this um, from a public health communications perspective. I feel like one of the challenges is that in order to make a community of people feel safe you have to communicate with confidence that you're giving them this sort of reassurance that the information you're communicating is fact. And so I find, or I found, especially during COVID, that a lot of the communication was communicated with this like level of certainty where it's like, this is the fact or this is the, the truth. But a lot of the science was like, yeah, we're still sort of unsure about this. We're still collecting the data. And science is an evolving process where... You know, you do experiments and you test hypotheses and you find out if if that's true or not. And if there's correlations or like sometimes you can't prove that correlations are causations. And and so so with this, like with science being, you know, having a certain level of uncertainty to it, but public health communication having to be this sort of like confident um, truth, like source of truth to make a population trust them. It, it feels like the two sort of are at odds with one another. And so I'm yeah. curious, like what you think in terms of 
how we communicate during these crises um, to make people feel like they can trust public health and that they're safe, but also being honest with them about the real situation and the reality of what we're going through? That's a really good question. And, and I have a relatively strong opinion on this, and I don't know if it's right. I'll preface it by saying I don't know if it's the right move, but I think if you leverage that this is an absolute truth too hard, next time you need to lean on folks, they'll be like, remember when they told us X, Y, Z? Yeah. So my philosophy, just like with my patients, just with like my friends, my family, I'll bust out. I'll say like, listen, I think if you choose masking, whatever intervention you choose, I think this is effective. Do I know for a certainty it's going to work 100% of the time? I don't think so. But I think this is a, a reasonable way to reduce your risk. And for the sake of just trying to get through this, please go ahead and, and mask. Please, please go ahead and get that vaccine because I think this is what makes the most sense for, for all of us. Mm. I think uh, – oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, to be humble, and but at the same time to lean on people and, and, and just say, like – or almost, like, lean on a sense of duty without – without dictating like, <laughs> dictating yeah you know like I, I i'm like if i hear that message if i'm putting myself trying to put myself on a, a non-medical uh, perspective and say this is what people are telling me in this time of crisis when i know all these people are hustling these people are dying i'll get behind that mm-hmm. and even if it's instead of say the vaccine time instead of 96 or we'll say like instead of 89% of people get it. Now that number is 83%, but you still have public trust. You still have trust in, 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 in public health. Mm-hmm. That to me is so important because this is a long game, son. Like this isn't just like one t- t- point in time where we're going to need public health, uh, or the people to trust public health. Yeah. So, I mean, look at kids vaccines right now. The lowest it's ever been like the anti-vax crew has leveraged mm-hmm. a lot of this shit. Like, this is, this is what, like, we got to think the long game. Yeah. That, that was one of my, that was something that I, I thought that I had sometime last year was like, I wonder what the long-term effect that this is going to have on vac- like child vaccine rates with yeah. parents yeah. that parents, people that were really heavily influenced to the, to the anti-vaccination um, sort of side of things during this whole COVID experience. And like, what does that look like? 10 years from now in terms of like who's vaccinated for, you know, a lot of the things that we've been, you know, that 90% of the population has been routine or more than routinely vaccinated against for decades. And what does that look like? And, mm. and do we open ourselves, do we end up opening ourselves up unknowingly, you know, in a decade to, yeah, totally to something that, um, to something that we used to have eradicated and, and people fucking hate being told what to do. Totally. Too. And to the, and to the, to the, to the last thing that the, the question, the last question that you answered and asked Brian and you answered Quadro is, um, that I had a thought on was like, I, th- and I also, I th- also felt that, that in the public health communication, um, not, not everywhere and not everyone, but it seemed like, it seemed like at certain points there was sort of um, when, when maybe something came up that was like, Oh, maybe we should rethink this policy or maybe we should rethink this mandate maybe. And, um, and there, and that there was some evidence to support rethinking that 
that there was some there was some digging in of the heels Big where time. where where it was where the best thing that could have happened for trust in public health would have been to say, hey, let's rethink this. And But I think that they thought that by looking like they're flip flopping right. and changing their minds is actually they I think they thought that that would decrease trust when I think that you're probably right in that it would have increased trust by showing like, hey, you know, maybe we got this a little bit wrong or maybe at maybe now things are changing and should be approached a little bit differently, even if like what we were doing was right at the time based on the evidence. Now things have changed, so we should probably change. It's kind of like the same fallacy with with politi- with mm-hmm. politics and politicians, where like not changing your mind in politics is somehow some something we should revere. It's like yeah. you haven't changed your mind in twenty years. That's crazy. It's fucking yeah. stupid. <laughs> yeah. How have you not changed your mind in twenty years? <laughs> yeah, Especially I mean, when the evidence changes. <laughs> yeah, I hope this is something our youth pick up on too. Like it, it, there's yeah. the the ability to pivot the ability to be open-minded like i mean i i personally value this tremendously in a leader like the one that mm-hmm. almost as you know if you're leading and you're 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 almost you don't care as much as how you're coming across as what the final product is or what the final results are like that to me is true leadership like it's not about you actually yeah you're, you're there to serve motherfucker like yeah and, and do it with do it proper yeah. Mm. Um, I have a, I had some, unless you wanted to continue, stay on that. I w- no, I had, uh, I had one more thing to go down, but if you want to, uh, hit that, then we can do that. Instead. I, I wanted to uh, ask you something, Quadra. I was like, I was, I'm on your Instagram page here and I was taking a look through and, and I, I know I searching some, for the negative comments. No, no, I, I, well, I, I actually did. <laughs> we, too I, easy. I, I was already on there and I, and I took a peek. I was but, looking for them. Um, <laughs> um, and I saw something that, something that's kind of been on my, that's, been on my mind a lot and then has reemerged big time in the public discourse lately, which I saw that you commented on was the situation with DeMar Hamlin and mm. like a sudden cardiac event. Uh, I, I am like for people uh, who don't know what that is. Um, that's exactly what happened at my soccer game. Right. And it's not uncommon. It's not uncommon. I mean, you see it in pro sports. It's something that a sudden cardiac event is something that as a, as a, uh, like, a a a self-proclaimed high performance athlete and works very hard and maintains very high cardiac cardiac output for a very long time. Um, when I'm working out, I worry about that. I, I, it's, I don't worry about it, but it's like, it's, you know, it's back here. It's, it's going, is my heart going to stop today? I have no idea. I don't know what the, what, in, what the influences are. I don't know if it's genetic. I don't really know much about it. And I probably should because I'm working out at a high level all the time. And I, I'm just curious about can you can of, you explain to people though who don't know what happened? Demar Hamlin is a football football player for um, the Buffalo Bills. He had a cardiac uh, he had a sudden cardiac arrest um, on the field about uh, I guess from when we're recording this is probably two weeks ago, and um, and it was really scary. And he was in intensive care for uh, for over for over a week and was unable to speak and was having had to be had help breathing. But from your perspective, Quajo, as an ICU doc. Um, like a, a sudden cardiac event like that happening, what are some of the factors and influences and like what, wh- what are you seeing from your professional uh, perspective there? Yeah, it's a, it's a big question. I'll, I'll, I'll speak to DeMar's situation and I'll, I'll talk about things in, in general. So DeMar's situation was a unique one where he got, the medical term is, uh, co- what is it, commotio? 
commotio cardis. Anyway, it's a, a direct blow near uh, close to your heart on a specific time of your cardiac cycle. So you, if you look, if you Googled, um, oh, so it was uh, based on the hit. It was, yeah, it was based on the hit. hit. Yeah. Oh wow. Sure. Like I mean, this is well, it's all hypothesis, right, but right, just right. everything seemed to to correlate with it. Yeah. When you and see normally, the hit, I mean, that makes sense. You see that hit, and it's like shoulder like straight to like sternum launched and like, it too eh? like yeah, it was like yeah. uh almost unexpected that launch he put into him yeah it was like um, a car he was he just like his chest got hit by a fucking truck yeah. like it was crazy and he's built like an ox uh, yeah. too. so um you you if you googled like chris prong or he gets a, a puck in the chest gets Ooh. up for a second and collapses same idea mm-hmm. normally it's like baseball puck some lacrosse ball mm-hmm. um and Usually, the uh, like uh, the, the good thing about Demar was that he was a witness. So witness being like everyone saw it happen, and so that he gets CPR right away. And yeah. then the the uh, defibrillator was placed uh, as soon as possible. And 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 the fact that it was a shockable rhythm and he got his rhythm back uh, was extremely good news. And like to put it into context, like he was dead for ten minutes, and wow, because of nice. the people that were on the field of the the paramedics, all the, all the medical staff, he's at home now. And it sounds like, like my humble opinion is he'll play ball again, mm-hmm. but that's just uh that's just an educated guess. But that, that it really like w- w- part of my pl- reason I was pl- platforming this a bit was just to encourage people like the, the value of CPR, the value of knowing yeah. how to res- resuscitate someone really, is life-saving. And I've been at the hockey rink too, like to, to get more towards your angle, you know, middle-aged dude, weekend warrior, uh, overdoes it and gets a heart attack on the ice. And we've, I've seen it where they, they get shocked and, and luckily have positive outcome, but it's like, I, it was, I, I, one of the funny things that like I, every time I go into a rink, I kind of like in my head, like where is the defibrillator kind of yeah, thing? That's yeah. kind of, I think about somehow. that every week I play soccer because yeah. <clears throat> I've told this story before, so I won't go into detail on it, but I was playing soccer like 10 years ago. Um, and a guy had a sudden cardiac arrest on the field, just like nobody, he wasn't hit. He was just standing there and just dropped. And we stood by him for 45 minutes. Nobody knew CPR. The ambulance took forever to get there. And uh, and he ended up dying. And so, so, like, from that experience, I feel like I'd say this to the guys on my soccer team, like, every month or two. I'm like, hey, just FYI, if I ever drop on the field, fucking start doing chest compression. Because, like, yeah. I, like if any of you guys do, I undoubtedly I'll start doing them. But, like, I'm worried that some, like, I think about it every time I go to soccer. Yeah. I just have, like, a quick and it's probably because of the trauma that I experienced, but it's like this moment in the back of my head where I'm like, fuck man, I just, it would suck. Yeah. Is there any, like, you know, and you also hear of like some in the, I mean, not like any of that. not that a life has any more value just because somebody's younger, but like, I think there's, I think at least there seems there's at least on the surface seems to be something more tragic about when this happens to somebody who's like, you know, 16, 17 years old. And it's, it's really, it's really hard to take in. Um, like, is there anything, is there anything genetic? Like, is there anything genetic? Is there anything testable that to like, that somebody might be more or less, um, uh, prone to having some type of event like that when they're, when they're like, you know, in like, if they're, 
I'm thinking of like heart, like really high cardiac output stuff, like cycling, mm-hmm. rowing, skiing. Taylor's worried running. for himself. He just wants yeah, to be able to I was, test himself. I was, was going to say, like the so most of this stuff, and I'm just these are generalizations. So you know, don't hold me to it. Those that are you know, you know, TikTok warriors, um, <laughs> but usually it's going to be something that happens early on. So and and some of these conditions are genetic. So you'll know if there's sudden cardiac death in the family before, mm. that's a sign. Um, if they've had structural heart problems, that's a sign. So, so one like if it's a conduction problem or if there's a structural problem, usually you have symptoms or you hear about it early on. Like so, in their teens, usually in their teens, like mm-hmm. there would be a sign that right. uh, there's an issue here. Like getting into later on in, in life, usually from a, a genetic point of view, you're, you're probably, most of us are pretty good. Mm-hmm. Then you got to start worrying about like, you just have like, like cardiovascular disease. Like you have uh, clots in your, in your, or like uh, poor, poor circulation in your, within your heart. That's when, that's when you hear about the heart attacks amongst at the, at the hockey rink. And usually those are guys that are, you know, the typically late thirties, onward that aren't cycling every day they're usually the weekend warrior kind of thing um um and and usually have a uh like metabolic syndrome like maybe they have high blood pressure maybe they have a little bit of uh, pre-diabetes but people most who are people, at risk because of like just a higher risk because of age their age yeah, is just is just elevating have, their risk yeah and lifestyle have, and life, yeah, they have risk factors, right? right? So usually, like I'm just thinking in, in Taylor's spot, you're feeling good, looking good. Uh, you're not the, you're, you're not the one that we're worried about. If you were doing that every two weeks, you got a little bit of chunky chunk in the in the belly. <laughs> you end up, you know, yeah. a lot of you know. Starting See, to starting I mean, to think, start, the, the the factors are starting to starting to build up in that case. Yeah. And really, that was a two part for Taylor asking that. One part was him. Um, Wanted to and just thanks make for sure saying that was, I look good. He was just wanting to make sure he was okay. I, I wouldn't honestly. <laughs> I can't. You can't tell in that that uh, I got a big baggy sweater. Yeah, that right sweater. Now, but but when y'all I saw y'all at the uh, the airport, y'all were looking fit and trim, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not, this guy. not this guy. I'm, I'm, I'm the fattest <laughs> no, I've been in my no, entire Jared, life. Jared's beefing up in all the right ways. No, no, it's you were you were. You were beefed up too. No, no, you're, you're, you're looking good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, about a, about uh, well, it was only twelve months ago that I was uh, twenty five pounds lighter. Uh, Tricaft has made me. Uh, I'm packing the pounds. Uh, I, went, I went to the CF clinic yesterday and I weighed in at 165 pounds. It's the most I've ever weighed in my life. Uh, when you know, I met po- you, you were like when, it, when you met me, I was one thirty eight, probably one forty. Yeah. yeah, and for being five two, like that's uh, five, uh, uh, pretty heavy. Six, six foot, six, six, six foot. Six um, but when I went in yesterday, I was like, they were like, "How's how's your health?" And I was like, "Fuck, man, like it's great." I was like, "My lungs are doing good." Like I just had a lung infection. My 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 uh, my my PFTs were like eighty percent yesterday. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. Wow. After having like a serious lung infection like a week ago. And, uh, and I was like, but also, um, uh, I'm 165 pounds. Uh, and last time I came in, I was once, uh, I was once, uh, 58. And the time before that I was one, you know, I was like 140. Um, and all because of this drug that I'm on. And I was like, yo, is this going to like Peter out? Like, am I going to plateau or, <laughs> and they were like, well, uh, you know, you're getting older now. Like, you know, this is something we never really had to think about with CF patients. Like you're getting older. 
they were like, are you still like, what's your diet? And I was like, I'm just same as my fucking CF diet, like high calorie, high fat. And they were like, Hmm, you can, you can change that now. And I was yeah. like, oh yeah. And they're like, yeah, yeah, like don't worry that, you know, you don't have to be like slapping fucking butter and peanut butter on everything you eat anymore. And I'm like, all right, well, I guess say goodbye. Say goodbye. To say goodbye oh, to that'd that. be hard to say goodbye to though. <laughs> no. Dude, it's you're so hard. Dude, you're going to have to go oh. from uh, craft beers to like Miller lights. I mean, that was the other thing. I was like, how much, yeah, they were like, how much beer are you drinking? I was like, you, too much. <laughs> can you imagine after that legit busting out Miller lights? Like that's like the, oh my God, that's yeah. like the that's opposite it. of joy. I got to punch somebody, give them the American yeah. light beer. Got to move on to the natty lights, I guess. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, well, Yo, Quajo, um, uh, dude, you're you're one of our favorite uh, repeat guests. Dude, oh we, my god, yeah. we have a couple that like come on every so often, but uh, dude, you are you are a gem. Uh, we love fucking chatting with you. I think uh, it's been too long since we had you on last, and I think the next time we get you on, there's some other stuff that I want to talk to you about, especially when like we don't we don't have time to hit it today. But like, um, again, like I was saying, my my partner, she's a CVICU nurse, and. Uh, when I talk to her about her work, um, it's, it's always, it's always a hard conversation. Um, because he, I mean, I, I, I'm sure this is, this can be said for healthcare across Canada, but in Nova Scotia right now, you know, the healthcare system is an absolute fucking dumpster fire. There is so many issues happening right now. I think it was just today. They just released, um, Oh, they're, they're Tim like Houston doing, had a big meeting to like talk a, about like emergency the, measures. Emergency, yeah, emergency room like shit show that's going on here. Um, and uh, I would love to get you on soon again, just talk, just to talk about like the current state of healthcare in Canada because um, it's it's a very hot button topic uh, right now across across the board from coast to coast. Um, but uh, we'll save that conversation for another day, Quajo. Uh, Give yourself a little plug. I know it's at Quadcast pretty much all across the board, but uh, how can people find you? How can people uh, uh, stay up to date with the work you do? No, I appreciate the love, boys. And uh, just a uh, selfish plug, too. That exact topic, I'm going on CBC National. I think it's February 1st. Sweet. Either Sweet. Or January 30th or February 1st, just to t- talk about that exactly, like how we remedy a lot of this stuff, like the current state of healthcare and how we remedy it. But uh, yeah, the. Follow us anywhere you on uh, any social media. Our biggest ones on TikTok at Quadcast. Um, we our, our podcast is called Solving Healthcare, and we just we jumped on the Substack train actually, where we we oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so Quadcast Substack.com, where you get uh, our newsletter, video content, uh, our web, our, uh, our 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 podcast content. Like so, it's all housed in one spot, and it's juicy. Cool. Full of cool. knowledge. I love that. I oh, love yeah. Substack too. Yeah, Substack is a very cool, uh, very cool platform. Yeah. No, but I appreciate you guys tremendously for having me on. This is always a lot of fun, boys. Oh yeah. Always. Good to see you, dude. Take care. Take care. That is it for this week's edition of Routine Checkup. Thank you so much for tuning in, folks. It means the world to us. And if you'd like to continue listening to the podcast, you can do that right here on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And of course, if you want to support the podcast further, you can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or you can simply rate the podcast on your Spotify mobile app. And uh, even 
Better than that, why don't you tell someone that you know? Tell someone that you love. Tell someone that you don't know that you listen to Sick Boy Podcast and recommend it to them because we always love those extra ears. The podcast is produced and hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Brian Stever, and Taylor McGilvery. The podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis at Talent Bureau. The theme music for today's episode comes from Rich O'Coin. Thanks again, folks. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll be back next week. That's it for now. My name is Jeremy, and this is Sipway. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.